Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week I present a sermon based on Scripture and our faith. I try to keep in mind that I'm speaking to a diverse audience and try to make the message applicable to anyone who finds their way here. I hope that you'll find something valuable for you this week. Recently I held a Bible study at the construction company where I serve as corporate chaplain about what the Bible says about work. In my job as corporate chaplain, I start with the assumption that our faith, including our relationship with Scripture, influences every aspect of our lives, including our work life. So I thought that looking at what the Bible specifically says about human labor might help us to put our work lives into perspective and make them more meaningful. During the Bible study, our associates shared their personal perspectives about work. Their contributions were so on point that I was moved to write today's sermon and share some of what they said. I'm indebted to them and all the people I work with and have worked with throughout my life. Before I get into our subject, I'd like to comment on how I approach Scripture. Each of us has our own relationship with God's Word. Yes, the Bible contains eternal truths, but we must each mine that truth from the words that are on the page and figure out how to apply them. In 2 Timothy, we read, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I believe that. And I also believe that God speaks through human authors, and we have to consider what they faced in order to tease out what their words mean for us. That teasing out is the work of the Holy Spirit among us. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. So according to the writer of Proverbs, who focused on practical wisdom for everyday living, the focus for all of our work, our starting point each day, should be God. In our struggle to make a living and get ahead, that's easy to overlook. If we put God at the center of our work, we will succeed in what we choose to do. While that proverb is true and valuable, It's also very general. So let's look at some specific verses from the Bible that talk about work. I'm going to start right at the beginning, that is, in Genesis. Adam and Eve have just disobeyed God and eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now God announces the punishment for Adam's disobedience. And to the man God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and sisals it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. It might surprise you to learn that the Bible literally says that work is a curse on Adam that's passed down to all humankind. 
Actually, the previous verses say that Eve's curse was the pain of childbirth, but that's a biblical problem for another day. For now, let's just assume that the work curse applies to everyone. In our Bible study, we went around the table and talked about some of the dirtiest and most disgusting jobs we've had. One person had worked in a rat-infested warehouse, which terrified her. A couple shared shoveling manure from barns and back-breaking work of putting up hay in the barn by hand or by pitchfork. And I shared my experience working around all kinds of vermin in my days as an exterminator. Interestingly, however, no one in the room had thought of their work as a curse. The worst thing that one person said is work limits your freedom, and it does, particularly when you're young and your friends are out having fun. There are times that there's something we'd rather do than go to work and times that we'd rather sleep in. But none of those rose to the level of a curse. As we talk further, however, we realized that we were a privileged group. Everyone in the room had a job of their choosing. Some worked in the office while others worked building things with their hands. They liked their jobs and the people they worked with and they took satisfaction in the work they did. They were all adequately compensated, and, perhaps most importantly, they all had the freedom and skills to find a different job if they wanted to or needed to. Now, thousands of years ago, when the story of Genesis was composed, work for almost everyone was a matter of immediate survival. For those people, the Genesis phrase, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, had immediate meaning. Much closer to our time in the 17th century, philosopher Thomas Hobbes wrote, Life is nasty, brutish, and short. And soon after Hobbes came the Industrial Revolution, and workers, including children, became slaves to machines and spent their lives in cruel, monotonous labor work was truly a curse. Now, my father grew up in southern Illinois in coal country. At 12 years old, he went to work in the deep mines. There's an old song sung by Tennessee Ernie Ford that goes, you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. I don't know if you can picture 16 tons of anything, but it's a lot to shovel in the hot, dark depths of a sulfurous coal mine day after day at 12 years old. While you and I may not be cursed by our work, it is well for us to remember our privileged position. While billions of less fortunate people around the world work life daily by the sweat of their brow, from our privileged position, then, part of our work includes seeking ways to remove the curse from as many of our brothers and sisters as possible. Well, let's look at the other end of the spectrum. Can work be a blessing? In Ecclesiastes, we read, What gain have the workers from their toil? I've seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He's made everything suitable for its time. 
Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds. Yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and to enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in their toil. Ecclesiastes was written a long time ago, well before Christ. Life would have still been crazy hard. The writer of Ecclesiastes struggled to find the meaning of life, and he comes up with some pretty practical and positive wisdom. It is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. God provides for us our physical needs, but God also provides pleasure in life. Not only does God provide pleasure, that pleasure is actually found in our work. How we've come a long way from work being a curse. Work can be a source of pleasure. Encouragingly for us, our group of Bible students had an easier time coming up with how their work provides pleasure rather than pain. The number one way that people came up with as to how work provides pleasure is through their relationships at work. They like the people they work with, and they like coming to work to be with them. Most of the time, of course. And that's why many people didn't like having to work from home during COVID. In my experience, companies that provide opportunities for their employees to socialize and interact in meaningful ways outside of work have an easier time attracting and retaining employees. For us as individuals, this reminds us of how important it is to nurture our relationships at work. It can give our work pleasure and meaning. Another thing that was brought up as a source of joy was a sense of accomplishment and pride in what we do. People who work in construction are particularly blessed to be able to point to the products of their labor. Sometimes impressive buildings, even churches, that will stand for generations. Everyone from people who sell the jobs, designers and architects who determine what the project will look like, all the various trades that make it a reality, and all of the support people who manage the project and keep the business running and profitable, feel pride when they see the finished product. They can point to it. And in pride, there is deep joy. Now, fortunately, my father escaped the coal mines early to serve in the army. And then he spent most of his life as an elementary school custodian. He took great pride in the way he maintained the buildings and trusted in his care. He got joy every day he went to work. I could see it from interacting with teachers and children. He found joy in this work for nearly 50 years. He was a great example of how work can be a blessing and a joy. Once again, looking at work from a larger social perspective, it's important not just to provide jobs for people, but to provide jobs and workplaces that give people joy and meaning. Now that will be a bigger and bigger challenge as AI and robotics are replacing many human jobs with technology. But if we respect human dignity, we will find ways to make sure that we don't return to the days of sweatshops and grinding repetitive labor. 
life does not need to be nasty, brutish, and short. Let's move on to talk about what the Bible says about work as a duty that we all bear. Now, Paul had traveled around the Mediterranean world establishing communities of Christ followers. These communities were the foundation for the church as we know it today. Like any newly formed community, the members had to adjust to living together. And a lot of Paul's letters were to help them to that end, including this letter to the Thessalonians. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tra tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, so that we might not be a burden on any of you. This was not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command, anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. Here ends the reading. You don't work, you don't eat. That sounds pretty harsh. And taken out of context, it is harsh. Even today, some people have misused this passage to justify draconian measures to make life difficult on welfare recipients or do away with welfare. Jesus also said in his parable of the Last Judgment, Just as you did to the least of these, so you did it to me. The members of our Bible study were quick to point out that we don't know why some people don't or can't work. It's easy to judge. It's easy to condemn anyone who doesn't work as lazy or shiftless. One person pointed out that some mothers would have to pay more in child care than they could make in the job market. Many people don't have the mental and physical capacity to work independently. In my experience with sheltered workshops, for example, most of those who can't do independent work really want to be productive, and they enjoy their jobs in the workshop. Now, admittedly, it's difficult to structure programs that help the needy without fostering dependence, but that is our challenge to face. On the other hand, the responsibility to work is the basis of a major, major social factor called the Christian work ethic. As a member of society, those of us who can should work and work hard. Instead of being a burden, however, every day we go to work, we can do so with the satisfaction of knowing that we're supporting our families, our companies, our communities, our nation, and I may not be going too far to say, ultimately, all of humanity. Our work contributes to the common good as well as our own. Well, when is work too much? Passage from Exodus tells us, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
you shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or your female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Rest is baked into creation. Even God took a day off from creating the heavens and the earth. Now, while the word Sabbath is associated as a day of worship, as it should be, it's also conceived by God as a day of rest and regeneration. After all, Exodus said, God rested on the seventh day. Among the people in our Bible study, there were some who reported that they didn't take advantage of their time off. One man stated that he averaged taking any days off only every two or three weeks. A recent Harvard study showed that in one year, Americans let 768 million vacation days go unused. It seems clear that we need to pay more attention to how we honor the Sabbath for worship and for rest and recreation. It's the responsibility of employers to offer it, and it's the responsibility of employees to use it. After all, it's a commandment. What does the Bible say about work? Well, obviously quite a lot. If we turn to our faith and to the Bible, we can learn about how to take pleasure in our toil. So let me conclude today with a blessing upon our work from Psalm 90. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and prosper for us the work of our hands. O prosper, O Lord, the work of our hands. Amen.